Grace Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the Word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. Let's prepare our hearts now to hear from Crystal. So I don't feel like Crystal needs a big introduction. You guys know Crystal. Um, she's my sister from another mister. Yeah. Right? Her daddy's right there. My daddy's back there. Um, but we've just been friends for so long. Yeah. And I love Crystal. And more than just being friends, like I know that Crystal loves Jesus. She's committed to his word. She's filled with his spirit. And so I'm just, I'm excited to hear what she has for us today. So we're going to pray for her and for ourselves. All right. Can we do that? Mm -hmm. So Lord, thank you for Crystal and her heart for you, her walk with you. Lord, thank you for the way that she tends her relationship with you. And Lord, she loves her husband well and her children well, and um, she loves and and graciously serves this church body in so many ways. Um, Thank you for her heart. And Lord, I just pray now in this moment, Lord, all the time in the preparation, the prayer, the thought, the study, God, that now she would just be able to um, let what, what you've poured into her pour out. And so, Holy Spirit, would you fill her? God, give her your words to speak. And Lord, we pray for ourselves, God, that we could hear from you what you have to say to us this morning. Um, God, not only could we hear it and understand it, but God, that we could apply the things that you're wanting to speak into our hearts. And so we come with open and receptive hearts this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Love you, friend. Love you. Oh, man, it's so sweet to be able to share this morning. Allison and Kristen did an incredible job. And yeah, when, when Jake asked if I wanted to be a part of this series, oh, I'm making swishy sounds. I am. How do I fix it? Like this? Is that not swishy? Is that okay? You got what you need, Nick? All right, cool. Sweet. All right, so when Jake had asked if I wanted to be a part of this series, um, I got very excited, and the first thing that I had thought about was a couple sisters who the Lord is ever bringing me back to. Um, We're going to be talking about Mary and Martha, Um, and yes, we're going to start with uh, the story about Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but there's three different accounts where they're with Jesus in the scriptures, and so we're going to explore all three of them together, Um, and I would like to pray one more time for me, for us. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you that your word is living and active, Lord. Thank you that no matter how many times we've read a a certain passage, God, there's something new and life-giving that you want to breathe into us, that you want to equip us with, Lord. God, would you do that this morning? God, would you speak, Lord? We are here. We are hungry for you. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so if you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 10, we are going to start in verse 38. And this says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, And she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? 
Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So Jesus and his disciples are making their way through all the different villages and towns. This is after the 72 were appointed to go out in pairs and prepare the way for the different places that Jesus was going to be coming in. You know, people are hearing about miracles and all these different kinds of things. And as they're getting to Bethany, which is the town where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live, Martha welcomes Jesus in. And here's what I imagine— because I've read this so many times and the Lord has brought me so many times to this scripture and ministered to me. And as I was going to it again, I'm like, Lord, can I have some fresh eyes? Kind of help me be in this picture to kind of see like a fly on the wall, what's going on? Kind of what I was imagining was, you know, this isn't a Victorian house with, oh, here's the parlor and the tea room and a formal dining room. It's not, it's probably not that. It's probably a humble Jewish home probably pretty open concept. Here's the kitchen. The women are preparing. The dining table where Jesus and his disciples are is probably within earshot. And what I imagined was happening was that Mary is doing as custom, helping Martha prepare. And I imagined that she was catching wind of what Jesus and his disciples were talking about. And she kind of becomes captivated and kind of abandons what's required of her and goes and sits at the feet of Jesus. But where's Martha? Martha's not being scolded for serving. That's not the problem. Serving's not the issue. It says she was distracted with much serving. And that word distracted here is a Greek word called perispio, and it meant to be cumbered, to be hindered, obstructed, burdened, and it actually gave this kind of word picture of dragging around on your back all of your cares, being hindered by that. Martha is distracted. She's so focused in on what her to-do list is and what's required of her, what's customary, that she hasn't the ability to stop and enter into what's happening over here at the table with Jesus. And it, it causes anxiety and pride. I mean, going over to Jesus, don't you see me? Don't you care that I'm by myself and I'm all alone and woe is me and help me? Her pride is peaked. And I know something about that. Probably about nine months ago, I, I woke up in the morning. I'm ready to spend some intentional time with the Lord. And I've got my journal out and I've got my Bible out and I'm sitting there and all of a sudden, just get overwhelmed with the onslaught of my day ahead of me. The to-do list, everything that is in store for my day, for my week. And I get so locked up and anxious. And I'm like, I'm singing myself that song, Tremble, like, peace, God, bring it all to peace, the storm in me. I'm picturing Jesus on the boat, and you know, there's the wind and the waves, and, and Jesus speaks peace, and the wind stills. And I'm like, God, I need that. I feel like a storm in my heart and in my mind. I need your peace. And I felt the Holy Spirit speak into my spirit 
Matthew 11. I'm like, okay. So I, I have my Bible in front of me and I flip over to Matthew 11 and I kind of speed read down and then hit, very familiar, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Let's look at this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I just felt the Holy Spirit speak into my heart. That rest that you are looking for is found in humility. Like, yeah, the to-do list is real. You have responsibilities, but I didn't ask you to do any of it alone. Like, okay. And he, you know, a yoke goes on the shoulder of the oxen. You know, it's over their shoulders, and they use it to pull and plow the field, whatever the task is that they're working on. And the Lord gave me kind of a new picture of what his yoke was for me. Um, Al, will you come here? I told him I might bring him up. I'm a visual learner. But what, what I saw was the Lord was standing there. You have hair and a beard. You're like, how, you're a great model for Jesus. But he had his arm out like this. I'm sorry. He had his arm out like this. He said, this is my yoke. And he showed me a picture of me coming up underneath that and letting his arm go around my shoulders and then me reaching up and putting my arm around his. And he said, this is how we do this together. This is my yoke. You pull with me. Work with me. I didn't ask you to do it alone. Thank you, babe. That yoke that you're carrying, Crystal, is striving. And I'm asking you to exchange that for my yoke, which is a yoke of invitation Come walk with me. Come work with me. And I had to laugh because probably a couple months later, I saw, um, it was a painting that had that scripture, but in the message version. And it just made me giggle because it's exactly what the Lord was showing me. Let's look at this. This is the message. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. You'll learn to live freely and lightly. It's an invitation to relationship, right? His yoke is an invitation. I even had a moment this week where this had to be exercised. Last Thursday, I like woke up my, like before the alarm and I felt like the Holy Spirit was downloading things that he wanted me to talk about this morning. So I get up and I grab Alex's laptop and open pages and I start typing everything down. I typed three pages of notes and I felt the Lord say, all right, save it and close it and we'll pick it back up on Monday. Like, okay. So Monday comes around, and I open Alex's laptop, and it was gone, like straight up deleted. And if you have an Apple, there's like all kinds of backups that are in play for you to be able to recover deleted things. You can find anything else that had been deleted, not that. 
and I started to panic. I mean, genuinely, I felt like an anxiety attack coming on. Just my chest got tight, and I just start crying and like, oh God, what am I supposed to do? And Alex comes and prays over me. He's like, I'm sorry. I don't know how this has happened. After a few minutes of kind of panicking, I felt the Lord just kind of, it was that grab your face kind of moment, just gently, hey, so remember what you're teaching on? I gave it to you once, I'll give it to you again. Come back, sit at my feet, Martha. Just come sit down. And isn't that an invitation that Jesus is saying to Martha? He's not chastising her, but he's saying, hey, Martha, Mary's chosen to come and sit. Like, the thing that I was, I was kind of in awe of is that picture of, like, hey, Martha, you think that you're here to serve me. No, I'm here to serve you. The man, I mean, the scripture says, I think it's in Mark, the son of man came to serve, not be served. You think you're here to serve me a meal, but I'm the bread of life. Come and sit. Like, put your feet up, Martha. Just come and hang out. Let's talk. It was an invitation to relationship. I even wonder if Martha maybe even had been wrestling with pride of, man, I've heard all these incredible things about this man Jesus, and now he's in my home, and I don't want to look bad. Like, I want to do it right. I'm called to serve him a meal and be, be a host, and I don't want to screw it up. And sometimes my pride, I mean, I can relate to that lie that my worth is tied to my work and my performance. But that's it's not true. And I'll tell you like something really gross that Satan will whisper that sometimes I listen to is that if I'm not living in, into everything that God has called me to be and do, well then he... I'm not of any use to him anymore. That's not true. That's not part of Christ. It's not. And honestly, it's a very pagan view that we must perform to appease the gods. That's not Jesus. He's inviting us into relational, restorative rest with him. And that's the good portion that he says Mary has chosen. There's other translations that say the better portion, and I like that. It's just better to come and just sit at the feet of Jesus and rest. I mean, we can put so much emphasis on our callings. I'm called to be a mother, a father. I'm called to, you know, lead worship, to you name it. But first, Jesus says, no, what you're called to be is my daughter. What you're called to be is my son. And I'm like, Lord, I want to be effective for your kingdom. But he's reminding me, okay, well then sit at my feet. Effective service starts with and is sustained by intimacy with Christ. That's the good portion. All right, so let's go to the next time we see the sisters. If you want to turn in your Bibles to John 11, 
We're going to, I'm going to read a couple passages, the ones specifically that are dealing with Mary and Martha, um, and then kind of give, kind of fill in some gaps. Um, Jesus is no longer in Bethany. Him and his disciples are traveling. And Lazarus, Mary and Martha's brother, becomes really sick. And they send a messenger to Jesus in the nearby town, letting him know. And so verse 3, we'll pick up. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And Jesus sends back another message with the messenger to the sisters saying this, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, which I just want to note I love that the next time we see these sisters that it says, Jesus loved Martha. It didn't even actually name Mary there. Like, I feel like it was just like kind of this redemptive, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. But then something interesting happens. Jesus hears that Lazarus is ill and he decides to stay put for two more days, which seems like a really odd thing to do. You hear that someone is sick, that someone's on their deathbed. You would typically run to them, but he stays put for two more days. And after those two days are up, he says to his disciples, it's time to head on back to Bethany. And the disciples freak out because they're like, uh, why? There's people that want to kill you. The Pharisees are angry. Like, it's dangerous for you to go back. And he's like, well, but Lazarus is asleep. And I'm headed to wake him up. And the disciples, I can so relate. They're not seen with spiritual eyes. They're like, well, if he's sleeping, you know, the guy's been sick, just let him sleep. He's going to wake up feeling better. And he gets really pointed with them and says, no, Lazarus is dead. And I'm headed to do something about it. Keep your eyes open, guys. You're going to see with new eyes. Come on. And so we're going to pick up here. At verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You got to remember, what was the message that he sent back to them? This illness isn't going to lead to death. He's not going to die. The son of God is going to be glorified. So don't you think they're probably rehearsing between themselves for those days before they saw Jesus come back? They're like, he's going to be fine. Jesus is coming. It's going to be okay. And Lazarus dies. Jesus, if you had been here, he would, he'd still be here. He'd still be alive. But then Martha says this incredible word of faith here. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord. 
I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. What a moment. There are seven I am statements in the scripture, and this fifth one is given to Martha. Sorry, I'm swishing around. Yeah, that fifth I am statement. Blatant. It's me. I am God in flesh. He gives to Martha, and she sees with new eyes, and she runs to the house and grabs her sister. Verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher's here. He's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Same thing Martha was saying. Jesus, where were you? And Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. And he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, or he's been dead for four days. And Jesus reminds her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God. He's reminding her of that first message that he sent back to them when he was in the other town, right? This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. And remember, he said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe me? She's like, God, what, Jesus, what are you doing? He stinks in there. He's been dead. Do you believe do you remember what I said? Do you believe? And we know the rest of the story. We know that the stone is rolled away. We know that Lazarus comes out in his grave clothes. And so many of the Jews that had been with the women, grieving with them, see this miracle and they believe. I mean, it was undeniable. It's also the linchpin that kind of sealed Jesus having to kind of go into hiding for a little while before the Last Supper, and we know going into Calvary. Because if the Pharisees were mad then, before, like now they're really mad. Now this guy's, yeah. And what I see from the sisters in this part is that in our sorrow and in, their, in our grief, there's things that Jesus wants to reveal to us about himself about his character and his nature, if we would but bring those things to him, and even like Mary, fall down at his feet in our sorrow and let him resurrect hope within us. They didn't shut him out because of their disappointment. They weren't like, well, I sent word, and then you didn't show up, and my brother died, so I'm done. I mean, guys, we're living in a time when there are so many people dismantling their faith, tearing it down, because 
We do live in a fallen world with lots of disappointment. But God, don't, don't dismantle. Don't push him away. Come to him in sorrow and in grief and ask him, God, would you give me eyes to see? He showed Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. God, let me see you in a new way. As I was sitting and kind of thinking through this and thinking, God, there are ways that you've done that in my life. One of the big things that I thought of is when Alex and I were first married, I think we might have been married for two months, we were doing music in another state, and this man, the age of my father, 30 years older than me, starts showing up, and he began stalking me, making death threats to, to Alex, to my dad, to our pastor. I mean, not to get into the whole long thing, but we end up going to court, restraining orders. The guy is put in jail multiple times. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of fear that I walked with as a new bride, and I was disappointed. Like, God, this is supposed to be a time when I'm just enjoying my husband and, and life, and there's someone who wants to steal that away? It was really hard, and the bondage of fear that I experienced for years, this went on, this guy being actively pursuing us, lasted for seven years. And for a handful of those years, thankfully not all of it, I was in incredible bondage to fear. I'm telling you, completely unrealistic. Alex would leave the house and like, I mean, completely just locked up, terrified that, that something was gonna happen. But Jesus taught me in that season, he is my strong tower, he is my fortress, he's my hiding place. I mean, I know that I know that I know because of what I walked through. And I got to find solace in the word of God, in the Psalms of David where he's running from Saul. Like, God, I've actively have someone pursuing my family, but I'm hiding in you. And it wasn't some miracle overnight, like I declare this and now I'm free. It was an actively walking with Jesus and over time letting him just strip those things off of me because he's letting me see him for who he really is. He's my strong tower. He's my fortress. So in our sorrow and our disappointment, when things are not what we wish them to be, may we come to Jesus and say, God, give me new eyes to see you for who you really are. Things that I can see in this, this place that maybe I couldn't see in another. He loves to do that for us. And I mean, look at Mary. What'd Mary do? We find her back at Jesus' feet. May we, in sorrow and disappointment, find ourselves like Mary at the feet of Jesus. So the third and final time that we see the sisters here, I want to preface this with 
this story is in all four Gospels, and only in John's Gospel is the woman named. Uh, There's even some scholars kind of think that maybe why is because she was still alive during the accounts being written, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and in John's Gospel was written much later. So they think that maybe it's even a protective covering. But I want to read this. This this one takes me out. John 12, if you want to turn with me. We're going to start in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one that Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them. I love seeing that. She's serving them. And Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, Why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. But Jesus answered, Leave her alone. She's kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you don't always have me. Jesus is the woman with the alabaster flask. And where do we find Mary in all three accounts? At the feet of Jesus. There at the table enjoying relationship with him. There in her sorrow and grief, she's at his feet. And now she's here at his feet in her worship. In Palestinian culture, ordinary guests were anointed with oil. Their feet were washed. They were given a kiss. But Mary isn't simply anointing an ordinary guest. She has seen with new eyes who he really is. I mean, isn't that kind of an interesting, kind of strange phrase of, she's kept it for the day of my burial? She sees, this is no ordinary guest, this is the Messiah. All those things that I learned growing up, they're coming true. And she pours out her worship upon his feet. Like her breaking open of this flask of perfume is a declaration of his kingship, of his deity, who he really is. And she is floored. She's amazed. This can't wait. I don't care who's in the room. i got to be at his feet. Jesus is no ordinary guest in our Sunday gathering. He is worthy of our lives. It's not just about here, y'all. May our lives be a fragrant perfume poured out on his feet. And actually in Mark, I think it's in Matthew's gospel, the story even adds it wasn't just his feet. She pours that perfume from the top of his head all the way down. I mean, think about how strong that smell was. I mean, Two spritz of perfume that strong. The people around you can smell it. A whole flask of oil poured upon the whole body of Jesus. 
I mean, the fragrance of our worship. Do you think that Jesus, in the coming days, six days before Passover, we're getting to Holy Week, y'all. How often was he smelling that on his skin, lingering on his hair, knowing I am loved? What I'm enduring, what I'm walking through, it's worth it. My girl Mary, she sees, she knows. I feel like she was let into that. She saw it because she was obedient to sit at his feet. She chose to sit and chose intimacy with Jesus. She saw beyond the earthly, physical. She saw into the spiritual because of sitting and communing with Christ. And y'all, that alabaster flask was probably the most valuable thing that she owned. It's said that that bottle of perfume was the value of a year's wages. That's a lot. And she's a woman. That's a lot. But pure worship, true worship, it's costly. Right? Scriptures talk about a sacrifice of praise. He's worthy. I even think it's interesting that in Matthew's account, after Jesus says, leave her alone, she's kept it for the day of my burial. In Matthew 26, verse 13, it says, truly I tell you, whenever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. What a wild thing. We think about the gospel, we think about that, pouring out our worship upon the King of Kings, anointing him with our worship. She saw something deeper than just Lazarus rising from the grave. She saw, this is him. He is the Messiah. He is the resurrection and the life. God's eyes are roving across the earth, you know, the word says, looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. But it's not just about this gathering. This is good. The word says, do not forsake the gathering of the saints. We need this. We need this time with one another, right? But it goes so much beyond that. Like this should be the culmination of our lives ever spent at the feet of Jesus, The alabaster flask being poured on Jesus was a culmination of sitting at his feet, choosing that. It didn't start there. It started with being at his feet and overflowed into praise, overflowed into adoration. And he wants to meet us in these secret places. At our home, in our homes, Jesus is ever inviting us, you come and sit at my feet. Today, will you come walk with me, work with me? I love you. I want to be with you. I want to spend time with you. He's he's calling to us the way he called to Mary. Will we run to him, fall down at his feet? Let him strengthen us. We have responsibilities. We have lives that, listen, all of that being said, Our life isn't just supposed to be 
personal worship of just, I just sit here in my devotional time and, you know, that's it. Jesus is about the serving because, again, he came to serve, not be served, and we're to model our lives after Christ. We're called to walk with him and work with him, so it does involve service, right? But we must first sit and be at his feet, be strengthened by that, right? So he wants you to encounter the power of his presence in your home. I'm telling you, some of the most shaping times of worship in my life, in my walk, have not been here. These are so important. For me, as a follower of Christ, it's been the encounter in my house by myself with Christ. I mean, we can encounter incredible moves of the Spirit here together. We do. And I thank the Lord for it. I mean, I'm awash in tears every week, y'all. I mean, the, the Bible talks about bottling our tears. I know I bring him like my, my sad tears. I hope he's got a lot of bottles of just my, my worship tears. I, and I used, to, I used to be embarrassed by that. And then my husband had to say, babe, you gotta stop making excuses. Like stop, stop apologizing for that. That is worship to the Lord. I hope he's got lots of flasks of my tears. I hope the fragrance of my worship blesses Jesus the way that Mary's blessed Jesus. The point I'm getting to is the time of individual worship. I was thinking about one of the most formative times with the Lord. Our daughter, who Sophia, who's 10 now, she was maybe six months old, and she's in one of those little bouncers. And I'm sitting on the couch with my Bible and my, my journal, and I'm talking to the Lord. There's worship going on in the background. Um, Jonah's asleep. Alex is at work. And I'm just, I'm sitting, having time with him in the morning. And this song by Jesus Culture comes on, and it's called Burning Ones. And I'm listening to it as I'm journaling and I'm talking to God and I felt the Holy Spirit like break through abruptly, like stand in worship. Which was a little like, I mean, okay, I'm all alone here, okay. And I felt him again, stand in worship. I'm like, okay. So I stand to my feet and I just start singing the words and I lift my hands. I just truly like, I'm gonna worship right here. And I felt, the, I felt the presence of God like warm oil, like a flask broken over my head and just cover me from head to foot in the presence of God. And I just started dancing. I mean, if somebody would have seen in like the window, they would have been like that. She's lost her mind. She is a lunatic. <laughs> I'm dancing, and I'm in this, I'm just dancing with the Lord, and I'm worshiping him, and he gave me, in my mind, in my mind's eye, he gave me the memory of me dancing with my dad at our, at mine and Alex's wedding, dancing with the father, and I felt him say, I love you, and I'm proud of you, just the father, communing with the father, 
in the middle of my living room, my six-month-old bouncing around, and, and it was, it sent me on a different trajectory of personal, intimate worship with Christ. He wants to fill us. He wants to pour out his love upon us. He wants to strengthen us. We must sit at his feet. And so, all of this started with, there was a woman named Martha, Luke 10, 38, and she welcomed Jesus into her home. He stands at the door of our hearts, knocking. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. He's knocking. And it's not just a one-time knock. There's a daily beckoning. Will you come and sit at my feet? Will you come and feast with me? So, from the sisters, from Mary and Martha and their example, may we too choose to sit at his feet and learn and fellowship and bringing our sorrows and pouring out our worship upon him. Jesus, we want to do just that. You are the Messiah. You are the resurrection and the life. You are the bread of life. You are the true vine. God, we choose to abide in you. That's what this is, Lord. Choosing to sit at your feet, choosing to live lives in humility, laying before you at your feet, walking with you, working with you. It's abiding, Lord. We choose to abide in you. We love you, Jesus, and in your name we pray. Amen.